Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I bring you greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ from your brothers and sisters in Holland Village Methodist Church, and we pray that all is well with you. It's such a joy to be able to celebrate Conference Sunday in this manner, and truly a privilege to be able to bring God's Word for us here. Well, as mentioned earlier, my name is Jeremy, and my wife and I, Jolene, uh, well, my wife Jolene and I, rather, have two young children, uh, Nathan and Natalie. Nathan is four years old, and Natalie is two. Unfortunately, they can't be with us uh, this morning, uh, but this photo was taken very recently on our trip to Perth in October for parents of young children. How many of you are parents of young children? Yeah, or you have grandchildren who are young. Well, I'm sure you would understand when I say that Jolene and I regretted our decision to take a holiday the moment we boarded the plane. You know, if you needed proof of the phrase, we need a holiday to recover from a holiday, this was it. And our children were squirming and restless through the flight and they really only settled down when we returned to Singapore and life went back to normal. So if you have been, you know, planning a holiday for you and your young children, uh, and you are going soon, I commend you for your courage. <laughs> but speaking of needing a holiday to recover from a holiday, some years ago in 2018, I read in our local papers of a couple, Dominic and Clarice, who went trekking at Gunong Pulai in Johor. Now, Gunong Palai is 90 kilometers away from Singapore, fairly short mountains, 654 meters, a three-kilometer trek from the base to the summit. It was just a three- to five-hour climb, so this couple packed light, and halfway through the climb, Dominic cut his hand as he was pushing through the forest, and his hand started bleeding. Now, fearing that the wound would become infected, they decided to return to the base. And along the way, they had seen trees that were marked with red ribbons that looked like this. And they thought that these red ribbons marked out a shorter route to the summit. And so fearing that it would take too long on the regular route down, they decided that they would follow these red ribbons on what they thought was a shortcut down. Now, what they didn't know, of course, was that these red markers actually meant that the area was dangerous and off limits to climbers. So, as they went, the jungle got thicker and denser. Several hours in, fearing that they were lost, they called the Malaysian Rescue Department. And thankfully, Dominic had an app on his phone which allowed them to give the rescuers the GPS coordinates. Now, the rescue department told them over the phone, stay where you are and we are coming. Shortly after that, Dominic's phone ran out of battery. Now, lost in the jungle with no phone, they started rationing their food as they spent their first night in the jungle. They only had a, you know, some packets of cashew nuts, potato chips and some nutrition bars, but they soon ran out of water. Now, fearing that they would die or thirst before the rescuers arrived, they thought it would be better to search for water. So they left their position to seek out water, and they were relieved after three hours to find a nearby stream. But fearing again that there were wild animals that were stalking them, they decided they had to keep moving. And so they followed the water downstream, and they went further and further away from the coordinates that they gave to the rescuers. Now, it took four days 
But they were finally found in an area of the forest that was the most dangerous. The rescuers said this was the most dangerous part of the jungle. In fact, it was the last 10% of the search area. Now friends, all of you are sitting here comfortably in the pews and you are all, I know, silently and secretly judging them. You are judging them for how foolish they may have been. Shouldn't they just have stayed there? Why were they so foolish to keep going further and further away? How could they be so silly to do, you know, follow the red ribbons? Clearly, it was dangerous. But friends, the reality is people do irrational things when they're faced with fears. You know, fears can drive us to do all kinds of strange things and even lose our grip on our lives. Well, as a wise person once said, fear is the path to the dark side. You know, fear can incapacitate us. You know, scientists tell us that fear can impair the formation of long-term memories and even cause damage to parts of our brains. And unfortunately, over the last few years, the number of things that we have to fear have increased, hasn't it? Now, in 2021, at the height of the pandemic, Bloomberg ran an article on Singapore's COVID response. And the title of the article was, Singapore's COVID response overlooked a major factor. Fear. And the subtitle went this way. Mastering data is only half the battle. A major reason hospitals were getting overwhelmed is because people were scared. Now, I'm sure with the recent finding that repeat COVID-19 is riskier than first infection, this fear would have only gotten more intense. But beyond COVID-19, many other fears abound. Fears of war arising from geopolitical tensions, fear of runaway inflation. I mean, have you seen the price of fresh chicken? Fears of sickness or death or losing a loved one's fear of facing the future after the loss of a loved one. Or imagine, what I imagine must dominate every Singaporean's mind. Fear of failure. You know, business owners fearful of uncertain economic times. Parents, I know, fearful that their children will fail their exams. Students, fearful of poor results. In fact, an OECD study uh, found that students in Asian countries were disproportionate in expressing that the greatest fear that they have is of failure. And I'm almost certain that Singaporean students were well represented in that study. After all, we are the country that is best described by three Ks. Any suggestions? Gyasu. Gyasi. What's the third one? Gyabo. Then in COVID-19, we've added a fourth one. Gyanang. Huh? Social distancing, right? We're scared of people. Now, but what about you? What are your fears? Personally, I have unwarranted fears that my children will fall seriously ill or that my children will grow up and not follow Jesus. I'm sure that no matter who you are, how successful you are in life, how mature you are in your faith, you may still have some fears in your heart. And that's why I've chosen for our text today one verse taken from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Allow me to read that for us from the English Standard Version. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
You know, Isaiah 41 sits in the context of a perilous time for the people of Israel. And these are words of a prophet to a people who are under serious threat of invasion from Babylon. Now, Israel, the northern kingdom, had already fallen to Assyria. And so now, Babylon was coming for them in the southern state of Judah. And the holy city of Jerusalem was about to be destroyed. Now, if you didn't know, Babylon was the most powerful nation of that time, and there was no defeating them. Some of you may, in your minds, imagine, maybe this is like Russia and Ukraine still got a chance somewhere. No, this is more like the entire United States Navy against the island nation of the Maldives. That's what it kind of looks like. Judah was about to be vanquished as a nation. The people were going to be killed and scattered into exiles as slaves. There was going to be no future for the people, no future for their children, no security, no freedom, no destiny. And in the earlier 39 chapters, Isaiah prophesizes messages of judgment. For the people, instead of turning to God in their moment of distress, they were turning to foreign nations, coming up with alliances with foreign nations and their foreign gods for help. You know, people were taking matters into their own hand and looking everywhere except to God for help. And so Isaiah calls the people to return to God for only God, he says, is able to deliver them. But after a whole lot of warnings and threats of punishment and judgment, the prophet turns from a proclamation of judgment to deliver a message of hope. I imagine that. A message of hope after all the talk of judgment. And that is where we find our text today. And the principal message that Isaiah has is this. People of God, would you trust God and not fear? Would you trust God and not fear? This is what the prophet says. Fear not, be not dismayed. What? After all that doom and gloom, how can we not be dismayed? This is ridiculous. But Isaiah says that the reason is a very simple one. Because God, their God, remains their God. No matter the words of correction or rebuke, God remains their God. You know, I shared earlier that we have two, uh, two young children. You know, our daughter is two years old and we just started to discipline her. And we noticed she's quite a bit of a tyrant, you know, always bullying her brother, getting her own way and pushing him around. But the thing is this, after we've scolded her or given her a slap on her wrist, she always just bursts out crying and she puts on this most pitiful look. And she will say to us, with those big tears running down her cheeks, Carrie, Carrie, that's all she wants. After the discipline, what Natalie wants most of all is the comfort of knowing that we still love her and we would still hold her as her parents. And that's exactly what God does here. After the words of discipline and judgment, He says to the people, don't be dismayed, I am still your God. And even though these are words that God gave to the people of Israel more than two and a half millennia ago, I believe they continue to be words that can speak to us today when we are faced with fears or when circumstances around us seem to be spiraling out of control. And the thing is this, even if those circumstances are of our own doing because of our sin or callousness, this does not change the reality that God is still our God. And so the prophet gives four reasons why his people should trust him when they're faced with fears. And I want to share that with us today. 
The first reason why we should trust God in the face of our fears is this. God's presence. God's presence. And this is what Isaiah says. Fear not, for I am with you. This is the first and most important reason why God's people should continue to trust Him. Because God's presence is the sure antidote to fear. To have the certainty that God is with us in the midst of our troubles should help us to trust Him. Even when all that is around seem to suggest that things are not so good, we can trust Him because He is present even in our struggles. Now, people often say, and I'm sure you've heard of this before, there is light at the end of a tunnel. So cheer up, you'll get through this. How many of you, when you were going through something really rough, somebody said that to you before? Would you just raise your hands? No? Oh, you need other friends then. <laughs> but you know, that is not the right perspective for the Christian. For it's not the light at the end of the tunnel that should assure us, but it's the light that we have in the midst of the darkness that gives us confidence for the future. In fact, even in the field of psychotherapy, the counselor's presence is considered the fundamental underlying quality of an effective therapeutic relationship. What matters most in a counseling relationship is not the advice that the counselor gives, but the presence and empathy that the counselor projects. I think that's why we can all be comforted. For in Matthew 1, we are told that in fulfillment of the prophecies, Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. It is the most powerful truth that Jesus is the evidence of God's presence with his people. That's what it means for God to be our God, that his presence is with his people. And you know, that's not only mentioned in the beginning of Matthew, right at the end of Matthew's gospel, the very last words of Matthew's gospel are these, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Isn't that amazing? But you know, God's presence isn't just a passive presence. Almost like the story which I tell my children of the little lion cub who runs around the forest roaring with his cute little roar, and all the other animals scamper away. And this little lion cub thinks, oh, I'm so strong, I'm so powerful, I am so fearsome that every other animal is afraid of me. When all along, it's actually his mighty father standing behind and giving the other animals a dirty look. God's presence isn't a passive presence hiding behind us. See, Isaiah suggests that God's presence also brings God's power. Not eye power, but real power. You see, Isaiah says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. God doesn't just hang around and look on from the sidelines when you're in trouble. He lends his strength to our situation. And listen to this. When the creator of the universe tells you that he will help you, what else is there to fear? When the one who is on, in control of all the forces of nature, in control of the future, who will command legions of angels, tells you, I will help you, what else is there to fear? For God tells us that he will help us to bear all that stands against us and to give us the power to overcome. He will renew our strength when our strength fails. He will restore our energy when we grow weary. He will reignite our spirits when our courage begins to falter. God gives his people strength when they're facing their fears. And the best part is, his strength is available 
all the time. If only we would allow him to help us. There's a famous story told of a man who was once trapped in his house during a massive flood in the Australian outback. He was a religious man and so he began praying for God to rescue him. He was a man of faith and he was so sure that God's hand would reach down from heaven and miraculously lift him to safety. And so as the waters began to rise around his house, his neighbors yelled and urged him to leave and they offered him a ride to safety. But the man yelled back, No, I am waiting for God to save me. I trust him. So the neighbor drove off in his pickup truck. The man continued to pray and trust that God will rescue him. As the waters continued to rise, he climbed to the top of his roof and a boat came by with some people heading for high ground and he threw him a rope and said, Come, we'll bring you to safety. He said, Go away. I'm waiting for God to save me. They kept trying, but the man was adamant that God was going to lift him out of safety, so the boat left without him. The man continued to pray. He believed with all his heart that God would save him. The waters continued to rise, and lo and behold, a voice came from the sky. It was a helicopter that was passing by. A pilot lowered a ladder for the man, and the man you know, waved the helicopter frantically and told them, Go away! Your helicopter is blocking God's way. So the helicopter left, and the man was swept away by the flood waters, and he drowned. As he got to heaven, he asked God, God, why, oh why, did you not save me? I believed you in you with all my heart, why did you let me drown? And God looked at this man and said, why, oh why, are you so stupid? <laughs> you know, too often God offers us his help, but we don't accept it. He offers us his strength, but we don't want it in the way that is given to us. Or maybe the help he offers requires us to take a step of faith and we just can't bring ourselves to trust him. But Psalm 46 tells us that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present in times of trouble. And not only does he give to us his presence and his power, Isaiah continues in the verse by claiming that God will uphold us with his righteous right hand. Now, this is a reference to how Aaron and her held out Moses' hands in Exodus 17 when Israel was in a battle with Amalek. And whenever the staff of God held in Moses' hands was raised, Israel prevailed. But whenever the staff was lowered, the enemies prevailed. The New Living Translation puts it this way, that God will hold you up with his victorious right hand. See, not only has God strengthened, but God has also helped. Not only has he strengthened and helped, but he has upheld his people in victory. What a wonderful promise that is. It's a promise of victory. This is God's promise that not only will he do the right as an ethical or righteous thing, but he will do the right as in correct thing for his people. You see, God's promise is that his great power will be right and victorious, that he will do what his people needs to ensure victory. And may I suggest that the most powerful expression of this victory is found in the, in the love that God offers to his people through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 puts it this way, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That we are more than conquerors suggests the totality of the victory that God gives His people. The ability to triumph over all adversity does not mean that God's people are superior to others. But rather because that through the God who loves us and the victory that was wrought on the cross, God's people can overcome all manner of persecution and adversity and claim Christ's victory as our own. Friends, that is God's promise to His people. And the best part is, undergirding his promise of victory is the guarantee of his love for you. And this love never changed. It, it, it doesn't change. It will never be shaken. And when you're facing the most excruciating of fears, would you let your faith arise? Hold on to his love for you that you may trust God that he will give you his promise that he will keep his promise and give to you the victory. But not only does God give to us his presence, His power, and His promise. Isaiah also tells the people that God has chosen you and called you to His purpose. You see, in the preceding verse to our text today, this is what the prophet says to the people of God. You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from His Father's corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Because of God's love and grace, in spite of the people's sin and rebellion, God assures them that He has not forgotten His purposes for them. And this is a theme that is repeated several times in the next chapter after our text today. In Isaiah 42 verse 6, He tells His people that He has called them in righteousness to be a light for the nations. In verse 1 of that same chapter, He calls them to be His chosen servants who will bring justice to the nations. While this may refer in the first instance to Israel on the brink of exile to Babylon, I believe it continues to apply to all of God's people through the generations who have been called to the purposes of bringing God's light and justice to the world. You see, friends, I think that the greatest fear that exists today isn't the fear of COVID or failure or even adversity. I think it's the fear of meaninglessness. The fear of meaninglessness. You know, we live in a time where just in three years, 6.6 million people have died from COVID-19. That's more than the entire population of Singapore. And you know, that's just the official global count. Three weeks ago, The Economist newspaper published an article titled The Pandemic's True Death Toll. And they stated that by their best estimate through the accounting for the excess deaths in the world, COVID-19 has caused 19.8 million deaths. Friends, what if in our generation, having faced and encountered so many deaths and sicknesses, we arrive at the false conclusion, is there really any meaning to our lives? I think that's why mental health issues are continuing to climb globally. You know, people are waking up and discovering that they no longer want to work long hours, toiling after money or success. So I think the fear 
of meaninglessness is creeping into our time. That's why it's so critical for God's people to rise up to God's purpose and calling. You see, the best remedy to fear, to the fear of meaninglessness is to discover God's purpose and calling for you to be a light for the nations and to bring justice to the world. That's why your theme in Ang Mokyo Methodist Church in 2022 is such a powerful one, that God is calling you. And my prayer is that you will rise from your fears and answer His call to be a people of His purpose. Romans 8.28 puts it this way, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. We are more than conquerors because God has called us to be His people who will serve His purposes. That's why we can trust God in the face of our fears. Because of His presence, His power, His promise, and His purpose. In 2015, I took the challenge of climbing Mount Rinjani with a colleague, uh, Pastor Yen Lee. How many of you have climbed Mount Rinjani? Show of hands. No one? So I can just make up whatever. Now, Mount Rinjani is an active volcano about 3,700 meters high. Now, the difficult thing about Rinjani, it's not its height, but rather its terrain. See, the top is made up mostly of volcanic ash. And so on the first day of the climb, we get to this beautiful crater rim and we set up our tents and prepare to leave at 3 a.m. the following day for a short three-hour climb to the summit. And you can see the summit behind Pastor Yen and myself uh, in the previous uh, photo. Now the terrain is really difficult. It's volcanic ash that crumbles with every step that you take. Did I mention that it's really, really steep? You have almost to bend over just to make any headway. But like every good Singaporean, I came prepared. See, I had done my research, I had heard of the terrain, so before I left, I invested in a high-quality pair of hiking boots. $300 over dollars. This previous slide, please. And with that, I accompanied it with a pair of lightweight, extra-strong, durable, titanium hiking poles. $200. And so I made it. Uh, in the photo that comes after that. I made it. I was a little slow. Made it to the top. Priceless. Right? 3,700 meters. Now, after taking a few photos on the summit, it was time to make our one-and-a-half-hour journey back to the camp. Easy, right? Hard parts already done. Got to the top. What else would there be? Smooth sailing all the way back. But friends, this was the moment that I learned something new about myself. As I turned round from the summit... I learned that I was afraid of heights. As I looked down the summit, my legs froze up. I couldn't bring myself to even take one step down. All around me, my teammates were literally skiing down the summit. Many of the other climbers were just trotting down, having the time of their lives. But I was completely incapacitated by fear. I couldn't even move. I was so afraid and I was certain I would die here on this mountain. As any good pastor would do in a moment of fear, I got on my knees, because it's a bit more stable that way as well. And I cried out to God to rescue me. 
And this is how my prayer went. I confessed my foolishness on taking on this mountain. I prayed that God in His mercy would deliver me and I would not slip off this cliff. I prayed that if I had faith to move mountains, then surely I would have faith to move my feet off this mountain. And suddenly, a voice came from above. It was my guide. And he was in slippers. He asked me to put away my poles, put my hands in his, trust him, and he would bring me down. I looked at my $300 shoes. I looked at his slippers. No thanks. He insisted. And so after a while, I tried. But once he held onto my hand, he began running down the mountain. Now I'm pretty sure I'm imagining this because he could just have been strolling down the mountain at a normal pace. But I was so scared that any movement was just too fast for me. So I said, no, 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 let me go, let me go. Let my $300 shoes and my $200 poles bring me down. Friends, it took me seven hours to climb down to camp. Along the way, I had run out of water. My teammates were furious. I had delayed them. All because in my time of fear, I trusted my shoes And my pose over my guide. And to his credit, my guide was with me every single half step all the way. You know, the guide could have brought me down so much faster. He had done this hundreds of times. He knew the way. He knew the safest paths. He had carried many a foolish traveler down the mountain. Even in his slippers, he was a thousand times more equipped than me to descend the mountain. But instead of trusting him, I gave in to my fear. I trusted myself to the wrong things. Worthless shoes, worthless poles. In fact, once I returned to Singapore, I threw them away in Changi Airport. But friends, in Isaiah's time, the people trusted foreign idols over a God who was present with them in their time of need. Now in our time, what do you trust when you're faced with fears? You trust your bank account, your experience, your government, past success, human strength. Whatever it is that you trust, would you consider surrendering those things today? When you're faced with fears, would you instead trust God for His presence, His power, His promise, and His purpose is sufficient to overcome all our fears and give to us his victory. Would you join me in prayer? Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for your assurance to us that you are trustworthy and dependable. Your word shows us that in the face of our fears, your presence, your power, your promise is sufficient for us to overcome. Grant to us your strength that we need never cower in fear, And give to us the courage to stand firm in faith against the darkness that may surround us. Help us to remember your call upon our lives that we may be a people who live for your purposes. For through the love and sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ, you have brought us into victory. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may be a light for the nations and bring forth your righteousness to the world. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is God with us. Emmanuel. Amen.